channel open, welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on June 23rd, 2023, and is current through the Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode Ad Astra Per Aspera, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. And normally at this point, I have a few pithy lines about how we're in a new golden age of Star Trek, but I'm not really feeling that this week, as we'll explain in a moment. So we're moving on. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is co-host of the Infinite Diversity podcast. It's Thad Hate. Thad, welcome back to Weekly Trek. I'm always glad to be on Weekly Trek. But not glad to be here this week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was, as usual, really excited to be on Weekly Trek when you asked me to until, you know, about six hours or so ago today when, you know, we got the news that Prodigy is no more. So took a little bit of the wind out of my sails, but I am still (laughs) glad to be here. All right, well, before we get into the doom and gloom, and we've got, as you just referenced, a big, not great top story this week. You know the drill. I want to know something's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Well, I mean, it's got to be Strange New Worlds. At Astra Perespera was a fantastic episode. I am loving that Strange New Worlds is back, and... I'm looking forward to the next eight episodes. Yeah. We were saying over an infinite diversity, and I was saying on this show last week, I thought The Broken Circle was a good but not great season mm-hmm. premiere. Actually, I think it was Peter who said that, and then I have co-opted that way of <laughs> describing the season premiere. But this episode was great. I love a classic Star Trek courtroom episode, and this one really delivered. And those dress uniforms. Oh, boy. I mean, talk about, like a perfect amalgamation of the Strange New Worlds style with the original TOS dress uniforms. Like, everything is there that's Mm -hmm. on the TOS dress uniform. It just is tweaked ever so slightly to fit the style of Strange New Worlds. Yes, and it looks fantastic. And I will say this episode starts to do something that, like, the next episodes really lean into, and this is not a spoiler, because it's just like a mood and visuals thing. I think this season of Strange New Worlds, they are in a way that warms me from the inside, leaning into that sort of 1960s aesthetic in a way that they didn't really in season one, in my opinion. And so, like, it is very nice, you know, like the the courtroom in this week's episode with the wood pat I mean it was the Discovery Federation headquarters set redressed yep. but like the way they redressed that white pretty sterile 32nd century set into one that's full of like you know um mid-century modern furniture the like wood paneling on the walls the art pieces they had the show is really kind of in my opinion leaning into that like sort of 60s vibe and mm-hmm. I'm here for it yeah I thought that was great uh, I know um, Sean Farrick over on Trek Culture called that out as something he didn't like in this episode. He said it looked too much like the Discovery Federation headquarters, but I thought they did a decent job with it. Yeah, it's a little weird that there's a giant section in the middle of the floor that nobody ever goes into because <laughs> where the map is. <laughs> yeah, well, on the and on the Discovery set, that's where you know it goes down to the lower floor from there. 
Uh, so, you know, everybody sticks to the outside because there's nothing to walk over on the Discovery set. And this one, everybody stuck to the outside, even though, you know, there's a giant bit of floor in the middle that's not being used. But that aside, great, great episode. Just really, really wonderful. It's also wild to think that that set started out as was a bridge of the Shenzhou. I know. It really has had, like... It's now showed up in three different Star Trek shows. We'll just have to wait and see how it shows up in uh, Starfleet Academy. All right, let me tell you what I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week. It's actually what I was doing right before we were recording. After a very angry day, I decided <laughs> I needed something to to set my mind to that was not that was not staring at Twitter and getting more and more angry about our top story tonight. That's what I did. And I have been making some blue brick sets. The Oh, yes. Yes, the Star Trek, probably the closest we'll ever get to getting Star Trek Lego, the German mm-hmm. company Blue Bricks, which is a Lego. It's not a knockoff, but let's just say there's a lot of similarities between Lego and Blue Bricks have a Star Trek license that lets them manufacture licensed Star Trek construction sets a la Lego. They don't have a license to sell in the US, but you can buy them from Germany and have them shipped over. The shipping is high but like you can still get them and they're great sets actually i have uh i purchased four sets the tng shuttle the tos shuttle the delta flyer and the runabout and i have been basically i started with the smallest set and i'm going up to the largest so i built the tos and the tng shuttlecraft and i'm working on the delta flyer right now and i was a big lego guy when i was a kid and i mean like i was 11 and 12 i think was the last time i probably built a lego set which means that it's been almost 25 years since I last did a Lego or Lego equivalent type experience. And I'm really enjoying it. I'd forgotten how fun it is to like see it start to come together, especially with the bigger sets that have lots more pieces, you know, not getting that sort of instant like, oh, and there it is, right? Like, but seeing it emerge over time and trying not to screw up too much along the way. You know, I'm I'm not the most careful person in the world, so (laughs) I will just sort of barrel ahead and then realize I've done something wrong and have to undo 10 steps and uh, one of my sets was missing a couple of pieces and I'm fairly certain that wasn't a me thing that was a set thing because I like undid a bunch to try and see if I had used the wrong pieces somewhere and I don't think I did but anyway they're really fun they're cool and yes my Delta Flyer is currently half completed downstairs yeah I I think the Delta Flyer is my favorite of the blue brick sets i have quite a few of them uh, as you know alex i have built lego much more recently than when i was 11 11 or 12 yes you're a bit uh, of a lego head as i recall yes i have quite a few lego sets uh, alex has been to my house and seen that my living room is practically half lego uh <laughs> So, yeah. And because of that, as soon as those blue brick sets were announced, obviously I was all over that. So I have quite a few of them and they're they're all fantastic. I'd say they're probably 90 percent there to the quality of Lego bricks. Yeah. The tolerances aren't quite as good. So sometimes the pieces stick a little too well or don't stick yep. quite as well as Legos. But in general, they work really well, and I'm really thrilled with them. I'm looking forward to some of the new ones they've announced that haven't been released yet, too. Yeah, I, I really like the ones, like, obviously the four I've gotten are the ones that have interiors to them mm-hmm. and are like, you know, sort of things. And I, I hope that they the four they have done will not be the last ones that they do and that there are more coming yeah, that are like seems, that, because I'll definitely like buy more of those. they're doing that with shuttle-sized ships. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense because you can't really do the interior of the Enterprise D. Right. And, you know, have it a uh, set that'll fit in someone's house. But they've still got quite a few smaller ships that they can mm-hmm. do. So, yep. Let's see. I want a back seal. That's what I want. I'm kidding. 
I, I don't really want to back. Don't it. even know what that is. Neelix's ship. Come on. Ah, okay. Good lord, Thad. I'm <laughs> gonna revoke your fan card. <laughs> I want the well, speaking of that episode, I want the Valjean. Oh, yes, very good. Uh oh, that would be good, actually. Yes. I, I'll tell you the only other one that really kind of has appealed to me is the one of the recent ones they did, uh, which was the uh, ready room painting from Captain Picard's office. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That one's very cool. I don't think I'll get it because I have no wall space on which to hang it, and uh, otherwise you just have a very large flat like piece of Lego. I'm also nervous about hanging things like that. Sure. Like, yeah. Well, I think people glue them down, don't they? Once they get them done, they like glue them all together. If and I was doing them. something like that, I absolutely would, because otherwise, yeah. I'd be so afraid of it like falling apart. Yeah. Right. And then you just have a large pile of blue bricks on the floor, and no longer <laughs> on your wall. And my cat would love it. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So would mine. Uh, all right. Well, with that, let's reluctantly turn to this week's <laughs> top stories. There's a war going on, and I'm a reporter. The move by streaming services to protect their bottom line by erasing content from their streaming service has reached the Star Trek franchise's doorstep, and Star Trek Prodigy is the latest victim. One week before the end of their fiscal year, Paramount Plus has announced that Star Trek Prodigy has been cancelled. In addition, the show's 20-episode first season will be permanently removed from Paramount Plus by June 30th, and may even be gone by the time you hear this episode. The show's second season, which was announced in 2021, will still be completed by CBS Studios, but it will not appear on Paramount+, and the studio will look to shop both Season 1 and 2 of Prodigy to another outlet. The shocking decision to completely remove the show from Paramount+, supposedly the home of all Star Trek haha, has offended Star Trek fans worldwide, not least because as of the date Prodigy is deleted from Paramount+, the final 10 episodes of Season 1 will not be available to watch anywhere. The first 10 episodes were released on home media, but no announcement has yet been made about the back half of season one, and unless and until that happens, well, you're out of luck if you want to watch Prodigy's first season's last 10 episodes. It is not available anywhere it was housed on Paramount Plus until it shows up on another streamer or on home media down the line, but who knows how long that will take. Nickelodeon, who had been announced as the original home of Prodigy until it was made a Paramount Plus exclusive, have said the show will not be headed to their platform. Despite the shock and disappointment of Star Trek fans and the righteous anger against Paramount Plus for their decision that smacks of pure corporate greed, creators and cast for Star Trek Prodigy are attempting to sound a hopeful note. Star Trek has taught my brother and me to strive for a better future. While news of Star Trek Prodigy not returning to Paramount Plus is disappointing, we have faith this show will be picked up by a new home to help grow our fervent fan base and inspire the next generation of Star Trek fans, said series showrunners Kevin and Dan Hageman. Our talented and passionate team of artists are working tirelessly to complete season two, and we are staying positive and hopeful that our amazing fans will get to see it soon. Janeway would never give up, so why would we? Let's follow her orders and go boldly. And while I am optimistic about both home media releases for the remainder of Star Trek Prodigy and that it can find a streaming service that treats it better than Paramount+, Plus, which is not a hard proposition, this is still the right moment for anger and condemnation of a streamer that has made significant missteps with Star Trek Prodigy. Originally announced as broadcasting first on Nickelodeon and then as a Paramount Plus exclusive, Prodigy was lost amongst the adult shows in a corner of Paramount Plus kids likely didn't frequent. When Nickelodeon did finally air the episodes, it didn't give it a consistent time slot or any publicity at all, merchandising has been almost non-existent, and a big gap between the first and second half of Prodigy's first season is only likely to have held the attention of the most
most devoted kids. If the show had low viewership, which is what the reports imply, in my opinion, that's not because the show itself is bad or can't find the right audience of kids. It's just that it never had the chance to. So shame on Paramount Global, shame on Paramount Plus for this decision. If Paramount Plus is not going to show us as Star Trek fans any loyalty, then I don't think we need to show it much in return. And I'm not asking for anything outrageous. I'm not asking for a third season of Star Trek Prodigy or a sixth season of Star Trek Discovery. But what I am asking is that the streamer, the home of all Star Trek, not permanently remove Star Trek shows, especially when there's no other way to access them. If Paramount Plus is seriously downsizing the amount of Star Trek on the streaming service, whose success, such as it is, is built on the back of Star Trek, then it isn't owed an annual subscription by me either, and it's as simple as that. Thad, what was your reaction to the cancellation of Star Trek Prodigy? Pretty much like you. I I will say uh, I was driving home from the beach today, uh, a very long drive, and halfway through the drive, a friend texted me to tell me this, and I kind of, you know, flipped out a bit. I ended up, just to be clear, we're talking text to speech, and my car read it out (laughs) to me. I was not texting while driving. Want to make that clear. But I did then text multiple other people to immediately complain about this and talk about this. Um, (laughs) As you can attest. Yes, I was one of those people. (laughs) And this is just ridiculous. They never gave it the chance it needed because... At the end of the day, kids aren't watching Paramount Plus. Kids aren't subscribing to Paramount Plus. Very few people are subscribing to Paramount Plus, let's be honest. And kids aren't asking their parents to subscribe to Paramount Plus. Kids had no idea this show existed. And the only way they could have known was if it had been on Nickelodeon and marketed well. And I think most of us who have seen the show thought it was fantastic. But At the end of the day, this show was not marketed well. Really, the only kids who were watching this are kids whose parents were Trekkies who were making them watch it. Yeah. And those kids loved it, right? Yeah. Like, even if they didn't particularly share any degree of love of their parents' love of Star Trek. And that, to me, is that thing that sort of, like, is the proof in the pudding to me Mm -hmm. of the failure here absolutely rests at the feet of the studio and not the Star Trek Prodigy creative team, and that, you know, like, I guess the sort of, the one thing in my mind now, six hours after being in a blind fury where (laughs) I'm a little bit like, okay, maybe this is a silver lining, is if Paramount Plus is not going to treat the show well, then maybe somebody else will, right? Like, maybe somebody else will. The fact that none of that's lined up, and they just went ahead and cancelled the thing, and are shuffling it off the streaming service so that they can take their tax right down before June 30th is just like a shocking slap in the face to Star Trek fans as far as I'm concerned, just like a really brazen one. There's no other way you can possibly describe it. I mean, you know, let's even play like like let's play it out from just the perspective of Okay, maybe the ratings were bargain basement, right? Like, they were so the lowest of all the Star Trek shows and just really catastrophically bad. What does the streamer gain, except for a tax race off, from not continuing to host it on their platform? It's not like they don't have server racks capable of continuing to host the show on their platform. What benefit is there to removing currently 20 episodes of a show when there are thousands of episodes 
episodes of every show on Paramount Plus, right? Like, it's not like me on my like janky laptop where it's like, well, you know, if I'm not watching this thing anymore, I might as well go and delete it because I don't really have the hard drive space available to like keep all of this stuff at the same time. Or my wife who has a gaming computer and like is constantly deleting stuff because she wants to play new stuff and you can't <laughs> have everything on the PC at the same time, right? Like, this is this Paramount Plus. Yep. It's 20 episodes, it's 20, 30 minute episodes with 20 more on the way. And the thing that really gets me is like, I had kind of accepted that Prodigy was going to end with season two at 40 episodes. Yeah, I did too. And folks have heard, you know, me kind of intimate for a few months now that there were rumors going around earlier this year about like the fate of various Star Trek shows. Star Trek Discovery was going to be cancelled. Star Trek Prodigy was going to be cancelled. And so like... I have sort of had this really strong sense for four or five months now that that was probably how things were going to shake out. And so I was ready for it. I've been ready for them to say, and when they announced the renewal of Lower Decks for season five, but didn't say anything for Prodigy, that's the moment when I was like, okay, yeah, I think think 40 episodes is going to be it. Right. And if they had just come through today and said... Yep, 40 episodes is going to be it. We're looking forward to a rocking second season of Star Trek Prodigy, and then that will be the end. So be it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we we would have 40 episodes of Prodigy, and that would be wonderful. That's four seasons worth of a modern Star Trek show. Not quite the 50 that we've sort of set as five seasons as a new seven, but like close enough. And kid shows don't tend to run for very long, and 40 episodes is a decent run for kid show. But the fact that they are taking that second step of removing the show then from the platform entirely. Yep, that's what pisses me off. Is egregious, because there's no reason for it other than the greed of the corporation and taking a tax write-off. There's no other reason to do it, Yep, right? Like, you could still sell season two to somebody else and keep season one on the platform. Why not, Shows right? do What's that stopping you? all the time. All the time. There are tons of shows that have deals with Netflix where old seasons are on Netflix, but the current season right. is not. Right. And that sort of thing happens all the time. There is no freaking reason for them to remove this show from Paramount Plus. Also, before someone is going to comment to this somewhere saying that it's because to save money on residuals, there are no residuals in animation. There's no residuals in animation. And the other thing, too, the fact that they announced it today, Friday, June 23rd, and that it will be gone within a week, which will be the end of their fiscal year, right? Like... Again, it would have even softened the blow if they were like, we are removing it from Paramount Plus, but we're announcing today the release of the last 10 episodes on Blu-ray. Yep. Here's the release date, and the show will be removed a week later. Honestly, Alex, I don't think we're going to get that Blu-ray. I think we will. I, I, so I, I have a certain degree of confidence about that just because CBS home video or home media or whatever the the division's called is a separate division from like paramount plus and so i do feel a degree of confidence about it ultimately coming out but if it doesn't then i'm really like i'm really going studs up on the corporation for that one because then there will be star trek that there's no way for you to legally watch which is you know it's one thing for disney to do it and then for the given that they have basically decided that they're completely done with home media which i think is a catastrophic mistake but it would be another thing for paramount to do it you know and start moving in that direction with the star trek franchise of all things i I don't know that i'm ready to even accept they're that stupid yet but they might be i think uh, i'm a little concerned that they won't just because i know 
we see that sort of thing from other companies when when a show gets canceled. Yeah, I, I know you and I are both Stargate fans. And yep. uh, when Stargate Universe was canceled, we got a cheap DVD release of the second season, but we didn't get a Blu-ray. They, uh, we only got a Blu-ray like two years ago when another company was doing box sets of all the Star- Stargate shows. Yeah, right. But yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. It's absurd. There's no reason for it. And can I point out that two months ago, they told us that it was coming in the fall? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever decision-making went into this, it was a very quick one. In the same way, it seems like the decision-making for Star Trek Discovery's cancellation was also a quick one, too, right? Like, that was coming this year, and it was not going to be the last season until, at the very last minute, it was, and now it was not coming until next year. But at least we're still getting it! Theoretically, I mean, you know, it's like, if they're willing to do this, who's to say that they don't ultimately decide later, now nah, we'll just take the tax right down on Discovery Season 5 and not broadcast it and put it in the trash, or pull a willow, release it, get through the end of the series and then say, all right, now Star Trek Discovery is coming down off of Paramount Plus 2, right? Like, if they take this one step of sort of breaking the seal of potentially pulling down their productions, what's to stop them from pulling down any of them eventually? I mean, obviously, popularity will play into not wanting to get rid of, like, Strange Worlds or or Star Trek Picard. But, like, shows that have been cancelled in the sense is partially that cancellation might be due to, well, it's just not performing the way we want it to. Does that open the door for this as well? I mean, I, I hope not, but I also think it's something that two weeks ago, if you'd asked me about this, I would have said, no, absolutely not. There's no circumstances under which they would have done this to a Star Trek show. And then they turned around and did it to a Star Trek show. So, like, I, I was wrong about that. So, you know. I literally, in fact, you were on the episode with me, literally said in this week's episode of Infinite Diversity that I didn't think Paramount would ever pull a Star Trek show from streaming. Yeah, and I think I heartily agree with you because I was just like, that would seem so absurd to me that they would think about doing that as to be completely inconceivable. And then here we are, you know? I mean, it's just, it's absolutely outrageous. And I, just, I saw in in my anger earlier today, you know, I was tweeting things like, you know, they don't, like, they, Paramount, don't care about us. You know, they don't care about the kids who do this. And some people sort of haughtily replied like, well, they're a business. Of course they don't. All they care about is the bottom line. And like, yeah, of course they're a business who only cares about the bottom line. But brand loyalty supposedly matters, right? And like, I have felt up until this point, a certain degree of brand loyalty to Paramount. They are the home of the franchise that I care most about in this world, an IP that I probably am unhealthily attached to, right? Like, you know, so I have, I have had all along a high degree of goodwill towards Paramount and their success. I signed up for CBS All Access a year before new Star Trek came out and have paid for it every month since then. Why? Because I wanted to support the service because they were making an investment in Star Trek and I wanted to make an investment in them to sort of like, in the way that they were demonstrating their loyalty to me by bringing Star Trek back, I wanted to demonstrate my loyalty in them by giving them money. And I've signed up for, I guess it's now the sort of i don't have sh- the showtime package so i guess it's the second highest package you'll be getting the showtime package yeah and they'll charge me more yeah because they're getting rid of that's going to be just the two levels now right and like i i signed up for the annual subscription right and like 
You know, I was sort of, I was all in. I'm a, I am a Paramount Plus insider, and it's I like own stock. Well, you're a step further than I am. Admittedly, I only bought it because last year when they showed Strange New World clips to the stockholders. Oh, sure, right. <laughs> so that's very smart, actually. <laughs> I should think about doing that. Well, no, right? Like, <laughs> how, how dare they? Right? Like, and and the thing is, it's like if you're losing me. Well, who's left, you know? Yeah. The thing that annoys me the most is, yeah, I've got another rant lined up at the end of this episode that's going to continue <laughs> this theme, uh, take it, uh, come at it in a new direction and not just rehash the same points. But like, I just feel like I've had to do this a lot recently. When they canceled Star Trek Discovery, when the Netflix deal fell apart and Paramount was basically just like, meh, international fans, you'll get to see Star Trek Discovery season four when we, you know, decide to get around to it. When uh, Star Trek Missing Shit Seattle was canceled, mm-hmm. like when the European official Star Trek events were cancelled. I just feel like there have been... We got only two books this year. We only got two books this year. year. Like, I just... There have been a lot of episodes lately where I have not had nice things to say about the studio, which is crazy, because if you flash back to a year ago, I was like, yep, things are on the upswing, I'm feeling really great about this, we truly are in the new golden age, and now they just keep on dropping the ball in a way that shows that like and of course i know they don't care about me and they don't care about you and they don't care about anybody who's listening to this all they care about is our money but you know what we can choose to spend our money or not and we can choose to have brand loyalty or not and tonight i'm not feeling particularly brand loyal nope paramount global and ultimately i think that is long term a problem for them if they are annoying their loyal customers and their fans as much as they are by taking this step to remove remove entirely a Star Trek show from the platform that means that for the foreseeable future, until it comes out on home media or lands on another streaming platform you will not have access to. The most absurd thing about that is in two months there's a book being released that ties into (laughs) Supernova Part 2. It's called The Escape Route. It's the story about what happens after the Prodigy crew leave the Protostar when it explodes. in the escape pod before they land on Earth. It's written by Cassandra Clark, who wrote a TNG novel a couple of years ago. That book ties into an episode that it is extremely likely will not be available to watch anywhere when that book comes out. Like, how nuts is that? Just like, like, what world are we living in right now where we're such a slave to the bottom line, to relentless growth, to profitability, that they would turn around and completely just trash a Star Trek show like this? I'm just, I'm just unbelievably angry about this and i'm gonna be angry about it for a long time yeah same you guys thought i was angry about mission seattle for an overly long period of time get ready for my thoughts about star trek prodigy on a weekly or monthly but no i'm just kidding i'm mostly (laughs) kidding so briefly mentioning the, the mission conventions you and i were both at mission chicago and at the prodigy panel they did a q a with kids and a whole bunch of kids who were admittedly the only kids at the Star Trek convention are kids whose parents drive them there because they wanted to go to a Star Trek convention and, and they were bringing their kids. But those kids, there was a whole line of them all there to ask questions about Prodigy. Exactly. It absolutely is a hit with its target audience. Yes. And if you could just market it even a little bit, it would have been a success. And in terms of the kind of shows that we want our young people to have access to, Shows that celebrate working together, diversity, that celebrate everybody having different strengths and different things they're good at, 
and finding what those things are and leaning into them and setting goals and aspirations for yourself and being ambitious and seeing the possibility in yourself and that sort of notion that hard work results in good things happening to you. All of those values that I've just named, I I personally don't think just having named them, I've particularly called out one political side of the aisle or the other, right? Like these are just good values that we would like that like it was important for me to have access to when I was a kid, that it was important for youth ad, that it's important for every kid Mm -hmm. to be exposed to, to learn about, to help them process and experience the world around them in a way that is relatable and that helps them learn something. This is the kind of show that you should want your kids to watch. And you're listening to Weekly Trek and you have kids. Of course, this is a show you're showing them. So I'm not, not, I guess I'm talking to people who are not currently listening, but (laughs) like this is is a show that parents should want their kids to watch and it's very very good and yes i'm not a kid but i have enough friends with enough kids who really like this show that i can say pretty objectively that like it's a hit with me and it's a hit with them which means it's just about not having found an audience which means that the entire fault of this can be laid at the feet of paramount plus nickelodeon and paramount global executives this has nothing to do with the star trek executive team this has nothing to do with the prodigy creative team it has everything to do with the way that this show was supported and in some ways like you know to sort of come back to all right can i find any silver lining at all from this absolute turd sandwich if they can find somebody who wants to take it over maybe they will give this show the love care and attention that it deserves and that it needs and that it really deserves so that it can find the audience who deserve to watch it kids deserve this show but too many of them don't know about its existence and paramount global has done absolutely nothing to solve that challenge in today's market i really wonder if they will be able to find someone because all the streaming services are downsizing as we see here and it would have to be one that has a huge market with kids yeah that's Um, what you'd want right right so like the first thought on that would be disney and there's no way disney would do a star trek show when they've got star wars so that's that's out yeah. The other option might be Netflix. Netflix has a decent kids option. I don't see Netflix ever paying for Star Trek from Paramount again, or certainly not anytime soon after whatever deal went sour with them over international distribution. Right. Beyond that, even Disney and Netflix are downsizing. Other, all the yeah. other streamers are downsizing. I really hope it does find some a new home somewhere, but I'm just not sure if that's even an option today. <laughs> this could end up being our first direct-to-DVD Star Trek show. Well, God, I hope at least it gets that, and it's yeah. not just something where we never get to see it. Right. One other thing I would say, it does seem a bit ridiculous for Paramount to be almost alienating Star Trek fans, because... Oh, definitely alienating Star Trek fans. Paramount Plus, let's be honest here. Paramount Plus is not one of the top streaming services. No, it's the worst. It's the it's yeah. the lowest performing of all yeah. of them. Amazon does better. Netflix does better. Disney does better. Even some of the cable networks probably do better. Yeah. Peacock's probably the closest equivalent. Peacock is and probably I don't know not doing is, better. Yeah, I don't know which is better. <laughs> but Peacock and Paramount Plus are, you know, cut from the same cloth. They're both from their respective networks doing their own streaming service. But the thing is, if you talk to people about streaming shows and, oh, are you watching this? You watch that? If you talk to people who are not part of the Star Trek fandom and you say, oh, that show's on Paramount Plus, they're like, oh, I don't have that. 99% of the time, the only people I know who have Paramount Plus 
have for Star Trek. And I know you're going to say, but Thad, you only know people who watch Star Trek. That's not true. I actually do know people who don't watch Star Trek. I know people in my age demographic who don't watch Star Trek, who do watch other things. And guess what? They don't have Paramount Plus. Wild. It's just wild. All right. We're coming back to this in a little while. Let's talk about some other things. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about something good. Well, moving on from that story for now, let's turn our attention to Star Trek Strange New Worlds. After last season's premiere, perhaps the biggest surprise was the reveal of Carol Kane's new chief engineer character, Pelia, whose unusual accent and captivatingly mysterious backstory already have fans asking questions. While Kane admitted she had never watched a single episode of Star Trek prior to being cast, she has been surprised by the franchise's enduring legacy and appeal. People I know who I had no idea were big Star Trek fans started to come out of the woodwork, she said. I guess maybe I should do this in the Pellier accent. No, I'm just kidding. My oldest friend was <laughs> my oldest my oldest friend went no was willing to tell me about the depths <laughs> of it, how it really has a meaningful story to tell. I really didn't anticipate that there were so many emotional connections within the characters. I liked that a lot. And Kane says Pellier's distinctive accent was her choice and not something that the producers had asked for. I wanted it to sound like you don't know where exactly she comes from, Kane said, there is an elegance and a power to it. It's unique on the ship. Nobody else has that accent or whatever it is. Kane said she was initially nervous about how the accent would be received at the first Zoom table read ahead of the season. You know I'm not a very confident person, unlike Pellier, she said. I was terrified at the end of it that they would say, no, we want you to do, to do your regular voice, but they didn't. They said, go for it. I think that was brave of them. Kane said the signature Star Trek techno babble is the hardest part of the job being on the show, but she does her best to understand the meaning behind behind what she's saying. I like to know as much as I can about the made-up science, she said. But to be very honest with you, I am not a science or math-oriented person, so I don't understand all of it, even though they explain it to me. But I do the best I can. Everybody's quite patient. Thad, how are you enjoying Carol Kane's performance as Pelia? I love her. I think she's awesome. I think it's a excellent addition. I mean, I am still very annoyed at the loss of Hammer, yes. but I, I do think that Carol Kane is doing a great job as Pelia on the show. Yes, I think she's doing great. So the thing I like most about Pelia as a character, and I was really surprised by this and really pleasantly surprised by this, was Chechi feels very new as a Star Trek character, which is a tough thing to do given there have been so many Star Trek characters. You know, I was expecting a character who was going to fit into one of the existing Starfleet officer archetypes that you would say, oh, you know, she's an O'Brien character, or she's a Riker character, or she's a Beverly Crusher character. But instead, Pelly is a Pellier character, which is wonderful, right? Like, quirky, a bit weird, but, you know, has this sort of mysterious background, is very good at what she does. As I think I said on your show, the accent definitely threw me for the first time <laughs> yeah. I watched the scene. I began to go back and rewatch it a second time, just kind of lock on to the way she was talking and be like, okay, now I'm kind of processing what she's saying. But I like that. It's interesting and it's different. And like, why bring Carol Kane to Star Trek if you're not going to let Carol Kane do Carol yeah. Kane's thing? And this is Carol Kane's thing. So like, just let her run wild with it. And she is running wild with it. And I really like it. And I'm excited to see more of the characters we get further in the season. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by the whole Lanthanites have been on Earth all this time hiding. Yes. Especially because this is something that I didn't notice when watching it, but other people pointed it out. They describe it as Lanthanites were hiding from other humans, which would seem to imply that Lanthanites are humans they just live forever. Yeah. So I guess sort of like Flint in record. Well, that's it. I was, yeah, I, I, I sort of wondered, I will admit, 
you know, having seen the first six episodes, it, this thought did not occur to me after the broken circle. It occurred to me like four or five episodes in, which is right. a little embarrassing, but like, there we are. I've laid it out for everybody to hear. I was like, oh, I wonder if like, was Flint a Lanthanite, right? Like right. he kind of didn't know what he was, but there are probably ways to explain that part of it. But in terms of having a very long lived person who looks like a human who lives on earth and experiences multiple ages of human history, sounds like, you know, that sounds pretty flinty to me. Right. And it wouldn't shock me if there did end up being a connection between the two. If I asked you to put money down on whether there's a Flint connection or not, would you say yes or no? I probably wouldn't. I would probably say no. You'd probably say no. I, I just feel like they're doing enough other things that appear to be connections to TOS that yep. that seems like a bit of a stretch. I doubt they'll ever confirm it. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It, do, it, it it certainly does sort of smack a little bit of small universe syndrome, which, you know, is always a problem for prequels and the way they mm -hmm. tie together. But I wouldn't be disappointed if that does end up happening. Right. Same. Because Flint was a cool character and it did feel like there was more there that they could have explored that they ultimately didn't because the character never came back. He comes back in a bunch of books that I thought was really good. Yes. Oh, yeah, those are good books. Well, Sir Patrick Stewart, fresh off the success of Star Trek Picard Season 3, seems like, in his heart, he might not be completely done with Star Trek after all. Speaking to IndieWire as part of a series of interviews connected to Paramount's big Emmy push for Star Trek Picard Season 3, Sir Patrick signaled he was interested in one more movie. I think we could do a movie, a Picard-based movie. Now, not necessarily at all about Picard, but about all of us, and to take many of those wonderful elements, particularly from Season 3 of Picard, and take take out of that what I think could be an extraordinary movie. I keep telling people and mentioning it, and so far there's been no eager response, but it might well happen. And that would be, I think, a very appropriate way to say, and goodbye, folks. Thad, do you think you'd like to see one more movie with the TNG crew? Sure, I would love to. Do you think you're going to see one? I do not think it's going to happen, especially <laughs> given... <laughs> what we've already talked about yeah, in this right. episode. You know what I find most interesting about this story is Sir Patrick Stewart's complete 180 mm -hmm. on the whole concept of TNG of Picard season three. Right? Yes. Like from everything we have read and everything he has said throughout season one and two of Star Trek Picard, he was the biggest person fighting in the room against them bringing back old characters, mm -hmm. doing old stuff before. I won't wear a uniform. I won't say the catch the phrase is. I don't want the other cast members to be back. And then somehow, I don't know if they just gave him a shed load of money, if they, you know, blackmailed him or however, they got him to agree to do it for Picard season three and bring everybody back one last time. Something that he had been absolutely resistant to for the first two years of Picard. And now he loves it. Just loves it, right? Like every time he talks about it, what does he talk about? Mm -hmm. How much he loved being back with everybody, doing this all again, how well it turned out. I'm a fan of Picard season one and two. Three is, in my opinion, definitely the best season, but like where there are lots of people who are like season three is the only season of Star Trek Picard. Listeners know I am much more of a fan than a lot of people are of season one and two. <laughs> Having said that though, I do have to wonder this like newfound faith he has in the idea that bringing everybody back was a winning formula, which we all knew yes, <laughs> long before he had this epiphany about it. What season one and two of Star Trek Picard would have been like if he'd had this attitude today in 2018 
when they were sitting down in the writer's room to decide what season one of Star Trek Picard would have been. And what kind of show would that have been if it had not had such a strong imprint from Sir Patrick Stewart, like pushing it in a different new direction? Mm-hmm. I don't Maybe it wouldn't have been better. Maybe it would have been. It's just interesting to think about that, like, he definitely has had a big evolution in his perspective of this. And I'm, I would just be really curious to have, I play out in my mind the what if of what if he felt the way he feels today when Picard was first created I don't know what do you think about that I think we would have gotten a very different show and I think it probably I also enjoy season one of Picard and there are definitely a lot of things I enjoy in season two of Picard I think we would have gotten a different show and I think it probably would have been better yeah I kind of suspect maybe I've always felt like a lot of the things that people don't like about Star Trek Picard were not Michael Shabon things. They were not Akiva Goldsman things. They were Sir Patrick Stewart things. I do wonder about that. Although I do feel like the show changed tone quite a bit when Terry Vitalis left season two to begin yes. working on season three. So Yes. But like a lot of the stuff about, you know, all of the stuff about Sir Patrick's well, <laughs> all of the stuff about Picard's mother in season two. Oh yeah, like, no, that was straight from that's, Sir Patrick. That's a Sir Patrick thing. A lot of the stuff in season one that really pushed hard on this idea of Picard being a bit of a fallen hero, mm-hmm. and you know this, you know the sort of Hermit of Labar stuff. That I think that was definitely amped up by Shaban and Goldsman. But I think the kernel of that was sort of you know like Sir Patrick pushing them in the direction of saying, "I'm not, I'm not going to be on a ship. I'm not going to wear the uniform. I'm not going to do this." that and the other and so it's just like i don't know but personally i think if there are things that people don't like about picard season one and two who would you maybe blame for that i actually kind of think it might be sir patrick i mean i certainly know that from like reading accounts of the star trek movies particularly fade in the michael pillar book about the creation of star trek insurrection sir patrick when you read his memos does not come off super well in terms of his instincts for the character of jean-luc picard and what he wanted Mm -hmm. that character to do in that movie and i think there too some of the things that people don't like about star trek insurrection like some of that feels attributable to some of the things that i saw and read in sir patrick's memos to michael pillar saying this is what it will take to get me to do this movie and the things that i want to see picard do yeah i definitely get the impression a little bit that for season three and this is Part of this is based on things Sir Patrick himself has said that they pretty much did what he said for the first two seasons. And in the third season, he got a lot more. Well, let's do it this way instead. Yeah. Right. And I think the show definitely benefited from that. Mm-hmm. I I think Patrick Stewart is perhaps a much better actor than he is a producer. Yes, I 100 percent agree with that. <laughs> Well, and lastly this week, the one silver lining in this week's debacle of bad Star Trek news <laughs> is that the teased audiobook of the 2000 Star Trek Deep Space Nine novel, A Stitch in Time, is finally forthcoming. Well, why is this special news that we're getting a 23-year-old novel finally as an audiobook? Because A Stitch in Time was written by Andrew Robinson, the actor who played Garrick on Deep Space Nine, and told the story of Garrick's life and career from the perspective of the character after the series' 
conclusion, which also gave us some information about what life was like on Cardassia Prime after the Dominion was defeated. And who is the narrator for the long-sought-after audiobook for A Stitch in Time? Well, yes, the author is Andrew Robinson, and the narrator is Andrew Robinson, reprising his role as Garrick for a 12-hour reading of the novel. I am really, really excited we'll be getting more Garrick in our ears. The audiobook releases on August 1st of this year and is available for pre-order on Audible and all major audiobook platforms. Thad, will you be diving back into A Stitch in Time and Andrew Robinson's portrayal as Garrick? Oh, hell yeah. I have been incredibly excited for this ever since Andy Robinson first announced this, uh, which I think I first heard about it. Oh, it's been a while. It's been quite a while at this point. Didn't he do it at some like Sid City thing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a couple of years ago, he then said it on stage at STLV last year, I think, that he was like, it was actually happening. And now here today, it's announced. I've been super excited for this. I'm very pleased with when it's coming out that it's coming out at the beginning of august because i am going to be going to trekonderoga the convention yep. in ticonderoga new york in august and that will be a lengthy car ride that is a lengthy car ride and a perfect time to listen to this audiobook <laughs> i was thinking so i'm flying to las vegas the day after it comes out Right. It's five hours there and five hours back. It's 12 hours. I'll get through most of it. Yeah. I also thought about that briefly because I am also going to Las Vegas, but I will actually already, I will go be going to Las Vegas the day. Yeah, I'll be flying in the same day it comes out. But I, I think it'll make more sense to save it for the drive to Ticonderoga. Yeah. Audiobooks, podcasts, for me, I do better with them driving than I do yeah. on a plane for some reason. Yeah, it's because... At least for me, at least, when I listen to an audiobook, I can't be just listening to an audiobook. I need to be doing something else that is not using all of my brain yes or the part of my brain that focuses on that sort of thing yes so like driving or doing chores etc then then i can go through it and i can focus on it and it and it works great but like on a plane i need something where more of my brain is focused on something yeah no i totally agree with you i am thrilled about this i own a copy of a stitch in time Mm -hmm. which i bought uh, it's a, it's a, I'm pretty sure it's a signed copy. Uh, so nice. Andrew Robinson, listeners know I grew up in the UK, so I didn't meet a lot of Star Trek actors when I was a kid because uh, I was in the UK and many Star Trek actors were not in the UK. But one time I was at my grandparents' place in Cardiff, Wales, there was a Forbidden Planet, which is this little kind of chain of like sci-fi memorabilia stores that was in Cardiff. And every time we were in Cardiff, I insisted we go to Forbidden Planet because they had all the 90s Star Trek merchandise, which was all new at the time because this was the 90s. I think I've actually been to that Forbidden Planet in Garden. Uh, I think it's gone <laughs> now, but like it was for the longest time just like my Nirvana. And I remember showing up and there was a sign on the door that said that Andrew Robinson would be there the next day doing Whoa. a book signing for a stitch in time. And like my, like I had never, at that point in time, I think I was probably, it was 2000, so I was 12, probably 13. Uh, yeah, I would either have been, depending on which part of the year it was, I was either 12 or 13. And at that point in time, I never conceived of the possibility that I would meet a Star Trek actor. They all lived in America. I did right. not. This was Wales. I did not think that in Wales I was going to be meeting a Star Trek actor, not least one of my favourites from one of my favourite shows. So I begged my parents to take me, and they agreed. And so I went, and I met Andrew Robinson, and I got an autograph 
which oh god that's a really good question where the hell is that autograph anyway <laughs> i should really find that um so i got so i got an autograph from andrew robinson and he was doing a book tour for a stitch in time and so i got a copy of the book and he signed it he also signed my what you leave behind novelization oh nice and i read it and uh yeah so i read it in 2000 and i'm not a big rereader so i haven't reread it in <laughs> uh, 23 years so i have just the vaguest recollection of the book, which means that I'm super excited to dive back into it. I'm super excited that Andrew Robinson's doing the audiobook when What We Left Behind, the Deep Space Nine documentary, came out. I loved that little bit at the beginning where he does that line reading as Garrick and it was just like, ooh, it's Garrick again. And like, it was sort of a Garrick-esque line. It was just Andy Robinson doing it in a Garrick-esque way. It wasn't like a Garrick line, but it just like warmed my heart. And so getting 12 hours of that, of him reading it, my body is ready and I'm looking forward to it. I'm really thrilled about this. I also hope that this does really well and makes Simon & Schuster think about doing audiobooks of a bunch of other of their back catalog Star Trek novels. Yes. Yes, that would be nice too. Because there are lots of great ones. Lots Mm -hmm. of really great ones that never got unabridged audiobooks that are like the full book in audio. There are a bunch that got like the abridged version book on tape type things, but those were not very good. No, the only good thing about those was they were usually read by Star Trek actors. Yes, the one saving grace. All right, we've talked about the facts, and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain, but it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guests and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Thad, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. My theory is that Lower Decks Season 4 will premiere the same week as the Strange New Worlds episode, Those Old Scientists. Oh, interesting. Tell me more. Well, we know Lower Decks is, well, the same announcement where they told us Prodigy was coming this fall. They also told us that Lower Decks is coming in August. Yes. Strange New Worlds, that episode will come in August. And Strange New Worlds is running through most of August at this point. So it would just make sense as a way to sort of drum up some excitement and possibly get some people to watch Lower Decks who haven't before. They'll see these characters on Strange New Worlds and, oh, hey, look, Lower Decks is starting up the same night. Maybe I'm giving Paramount too much credit for marketing their things well, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think this is what, that's what's going to happen. I like that theory. I hope it's true. I certainly hope that it's not rocket science to suspect that Strange New Worlds has a much larger audience than Lower Decks nice. does. Yeah. And so I do have this sort of like hope that... A bunch of people who watch Strange New Worlds who maybe are not watching Lower Decks will enjoy those old scientists. You and I have not seen the episode. We know just as much as everybody about yep. that episode, but that they will enjoy it and that it will then lead to an increase in streaming for Star Trek Lower Decks from people who are like, oh, I should check out this show. It actually looks really cool. I like these characters as they have appeared on Strange New Worlds. I would like to see more of them and then set about seeing more of them. I think that would be a home run for mm-hmm. for that episode, for the Lower Decks Strange New Worlds crossover. Yeah, and hopefully would mean big numbers for Lower Decks and then it won't get canceled and have all its episodes pulled. Yeah, right. Oh, boy. All right. Well, that ties us into my wish for this (laughs) week. And that is, there's been a story going around the last uh, couple of days, some... um, investor and analyst for one of the big market companies, Goldman Sachs, 
Wells Fargo, something like that, published this piece basically saying that Paramount Global's days are numbered, that it's much more valuable for its constituent parts than it is as one whole, and that it's very likely that Paramount Global as an entity or gets a bit broken up, basically gets bought by somebody else. And that CBS Studios and Paramount Studios, the TV production side and the movie studio are certainly the like two most valuable assets that they have. And that some of the other stuff that they've got on the books is maybe weighing them down. Simon & Schuster, they're still trying to offload. The federal government stepped in and stopped a merger between Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House, which is probably a good thing because then publishing would basically just be Penguin Random House. They're currently taking offers for BET. And so the, the basically this investor says... It's days are numbered. It's going to get bought. There was also a story this week about how uh, Netflix uh, has just an absolute boatload of cash, enough cash to buy something like Paramount Global. They don't seem super interested in buying things like CBS, but they are interested in like CBS, like the linear CBS channel, but they are interested in things like CBS TV studios and Paramount Studios, etc., etc. After today, honestly, I kind of hope it does get bought. I think that senior Paramount Global leadership have shown almost no respect for the Star Trek franchise in all the ways that matter. And, you know, it's sort of like the devil you know or the devil you don't. Well, at this point, I don't feel that anybody could do much worse than the devil I know, which is the current crew who's in charge of the direction and path forward for the Star Trek franchise. Paramount has never really known how to deal with a franchise, and Star Trek has always been one of its biggest. This has been a perennial problem for decades at this point, that the Star Trek executive team is very good, but the layer that lives above them, to the left of them, to the right of them, within the studio infrastructure, just has no idea what the right way to service the Star Trek franchise as a whole is. And so whether it's Amazon or Netflix or, you know, some of the other potential buyers that have been talked about, hey, maybe some new leadership, maybe some leadership that, you know, has a bit of a vision for building out franchises in a way that the Paramount team, you know, never had. Maybe it's time for us to be open to Star Trek having a new owner who's not Paramount, because I don't know that the Paramount executive team have done really all that many favors to the Star Trek franchise over the last, <laughs> you know, decade. And like, of course, right, like, I think the natural response to that is, Alex, you're very emotional and you're being way overblown about this, right? Like, how many new seasons of Star Trek have we gotten over the last couple of years? How can you say that Paramount's executive team has not shown an investment in Star Trek when we've had five TV shows and added a hundred episodes within a very short period of time? And granted, there is a certain amount of truth to that, but what good is all of those shows if they are going to get smothered in their infancy, not get given the chance to take off, and have these ignoble endings? Honestly, I would rather there were fewer Star Trek shows, that there was a very supportive corporate infrastructure that lived behind, that did the right level of marketing for those productions, that did the right level of merchandising for those productions, 
questions that grew the audience and wasn't just about like stuffing TV shows down the throats of the existing fans without really sort of then investing in growing the franchise as a whole. I think that's the vision of the Star Trek executive team. I don't know that that's the vision of the Paramount Global executive team. And I think a new executive team that lives above the Star Trek executive team could be very good in terms of then saying, all right, we want to support your mission and your ambition. My goal is for Star Trek not to end. And I know that we've still got Strange New Worlds and we've still got Starfleet Academy on the way and Lower Decks is still on, but you have to feel like on the bell curve of Star Trek content. If there was a bell curve in the 1990s that peaked in 1996 with First Contact, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and mm-hmm. from that point in time, you were on the like downward swing and it was a bit less and a bit less and a bit less each year until you hit 2005 and you got nothing. Does this feel a little bit like we're like now actually when you look behind you, you're like, oh, the top of the bell curve is behind me and I'm we're potentially on the downswing now. I don't want to reach yeah. 2005 again. I'm not saying 2005 is tomorrow or five years from now or 10 years from now. But it does just sort of start to feel a little bit like I I just have some of those similar vibes just sort of like, you know, swirling around inside of me. And I don't know that I have faith in Paramount Global as currently constructed to be the corporate entity that is going to find a way of nurturing the Star Trek franchise and deriving on the corporate speak side, maximum value out of it. And on the I'm a Star Trek fan side, maximum enjoyment out of it that they should have. Star Trek Prodigy could have been the next Star Wars Rebels, a show that has Uh seeded the current generation of Star Wars live-action content. Live-action shows like Ahsoka, like the Dave Filoni movie that he's working on, which is be a Thrawn movie, are dripping in Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels content. Star Trek animated shows providing a massive creative pastiche for live-action to build upon. It's objectively good enough to have accomplished that. As we've talked about before, in my opinion, it's a failure of leadership and so maybe it's time for that leadership to change I don't think they can do a worse job than what we've seen this week Thad what do you think about that I yeah that's that's a great thing I think it is entirely possible if it's sold that we could get better treatment of the franchise We'll have to see. I I do agree with you. I think 2021 was the high watermark of the quote unquote new golden age of Star Trek. Which is sad. I genuinely like every week I read that opening and I believe it a little less each week. And I think I'm going to revise it. I, I, you know, I don't, I just don't know that I feel like I can say with certainty when one show has ended and two shows have been cancelled in the last three months that like that. I'm not saying there wasn't a golden age. I'm just saying it's possible that we're not in it anymore. And what that means for the future of Star Trek is still pretty uncertain. And maybe if Netflix owns Star Trek, I don't know, right? Like, Netflix obviously has a lot of problems itself. If Netflix owns Star Trek, none of the series ever get more than two seasons. Ah, Well, possibly. But, like, I don't know. Could they do a worse job than the current Paramount leadership team? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) Uh, They won't release Blu-rays. That is the one thing that Paramount has been doing well and hopefully will do continue to do well with. But hey, I mean, I think their general sense is they like to make money and these things make money and they don't sense that, you know, these other, like if they released The Crown on Blu-ray, that it would make them any money. That's true. I wouldn't buy The Crown on Blu-ray. I also would not buy The Crown on Blu-ray, not least because that show has really gone downhill. (laughs) Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Section 31, Starfleet Academy, Strange New Worlds, 
lower decks or i guess we'll still leave prodigy in for a little while longer that you'd like to share tweet them to me at weekly trek or email them to me at weekly trek at the tricorder transmissions.com and i might feature your theory in a future episode well that's all the time we've got for this episode of weekly trek thank you so much to my guest thad hate for joining me today thad how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation uh, if you want to reach out to me and find me angrily tweeting about the cancellation of prodigy you can find me on twitter at tyrannicus that's t-y-r-a-n-i-c-u-s you can also hear me talking angrily about the cancellation of Star Trek Prodigy on my own podcast Infinite Diversity on the BQN Podcast Network. We talk about every new episode of Star Trek the Tuesday after it releases. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you'll turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Thad. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. Prosper.